Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, again, welcome. We're glad that you're here this week. It's interesting because on the same week that we are doing baby dedication, I will tackle what could be one of the two most difficult subjects that the pastor and the preacher ever has to tackle. So, uh, but it's inside of this bigger idea called, guard, everybody say guardrails. Guardrails. Now, if, if you are a driver of a vehicle, you appreciate some guardrails, or at least I hope you do, because the point of a guardrail in practical terms, and especially in driving terms, a guardrail is just some kind of device, and we even, we even coined it like this. It's a system or a device designed to keep vehicles from stay, straying into dangerous, off-limit areas. And we know that, right? You start driving through the mountains, and you're really, really grateful because you start going around the bend, you start going around the curve, and when you look down and it seems like it's just straight down, you know that you're grateful that there's a guardrail. When you're driving on a highway and people are going 100 miles an hour this way and you're going fast this way, you appreciate the fact that there is a barrier between you that protects you from them and them from you. And then also even on like bridges, we know like bridges, how many know you don't want to go off the Golden Gate Bridge, and go down, you are thankful that on the edge of the road there, there is a guardrail. And that's typically where we find guardrails. And the point of guardrails is this, in essence, because I need you to get your mind wrapped around this. Guardrails are not in the danger zone, right? It'd be like putting the guardrail in the water instead of on the bridge. Because see, technically, you can drive on that place on the bridge. It's not that you can't drive there. It's, it's that, in essence, that the guardrail's there so that if you hit it, you do less damage than if you go over the bridge. And so this, the guardrail is not meant to be in the danger zone. I need you to think about that. The guardrail is meant to be in the safe zone. And so we introduce this idea to you that what we want you to do is actually have personal guardrails. We want you to have something in your life, and here's a personal guardrail. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Meaning like it's just a, it's just a standard that you created, and you said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this because I know that if, because I know me, I'll go to an extreme. I know me, I don't have any self-control. I know me, I lack discipline in that area. And so what I'll do is I'm going to set a standard here that if I bump up against that, it's going to bother me. It's going to bother my conscience. It's going to mess with me on the inside. And if I, if I hit that, I technically don't even have a ton of danger yet. It's if I go over that, that's what we're talking about here. And in essence, like when you think about your personal life, we just talked about the idea as a whole last week. But this is where you need, you ever think about, well, okay, well, we'll talk, I get, okay, a guardrail is good. But like, let's dig down on that. Where do I need a guardrail? And the answer is this, wherever there is desire, we need guardrails. You ever think about that? How many have desires out there? Yep, yep. You, wherever you have a desire, you more than likely need a guardrail. Let, let me give you an example. How many, we, we all desire to have more money, but I would tell you this, that if you have a desire for money, that at some point you need a guardrail that says, okay, this is where my heart becomes tainted. This is where there's greed. This is where I have issues. How many know like some of you love your job or because of your job is connected to your desire for money, you need a guardrail there? So like, for example, I remember talking to a gentleman in our church just, just recently, and I was talking to both him and his wife at the same time, and she was complaining about how long and much he worked and how even when he got home, he was bringing his work home and on the laptop and this and that and the other. And I said, okay, well, let's talk then. How much of this work do you actually have to get done or what time can you leave the office? And literally in a counseling session, we determined and he determined for them that like, I need to hit the office door by 6 p.m. And that was what they're, now is, is, is 6 p.m. a sin? 
No, of course not. It's ridiculous. The 6 p.m. is just a guardrail. It's, it's something for him to say, I know when I'm working past 6, when I could easily go home, that that's an issue for me, that I'm bumping up against a guardrail, that I know this leads to something else. And so anyway, again, this could, hey, this could go into anything. How many know we love food, right? Hey, wherever there is a desire, <laughs> we need a guard. I just did this in my own personal life. I was like, man, Whew. Okay, so Todd, you need to. St- I, I literally created a guardrail that I'm not going to eat after 9 p.m. anymore because I don't know about you, but like, man, there's something awesome about watching TV with your wife and just snacking away. And man, I would eat like, in essence, like a fourth meal at like 10 o'clock at night watching TV shows with my wife. I'm like, this can't be good for me. And I could tell that it wasn't being good for my belly because my belly was getting bigger. And so I just determined, okay, I need, I need a personal guardrail because I love food. And so again, this, this is in any arena of your life, wherever there is a, a desire, you need a guardrail. But today, I want to talk, and you just need to hang on with me because I'm going to talk about the sticky subject, the the tough, difficult subject, the subject that, funny enough, it's because of that subject that we had baby dedication today. If you know where I'm going, you can't have baby dedication without this subject. And so today what I want to talk to you about is, is that not only do we need guardrails in all kinds of arenas of our life, but the most important one may be in the area of our sexuality, that the Bible speaks about sexual purity and sexual immorality, and, and, and it kind of introduces this idea, but then inside of it, I'm just telling you that there's guardrails that need to be put in place. And again, the guardrails aren't in the danger zone, are they? They're in the safe zone, so that if you bump up against them, then you know when you're getting too close to the edge. And so what I want to do is show you that like, it would be in your best interest to have some guardrails in this area. Now, before you, because some of y'all just you shut the whole thing down. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to give me the next 20 minutes to just kind of talk to you. And you don't have to believe anything that I say. You don't have to do anything that you have to say. I don't want you to dismiss me for the next, for the next 20 minutes. I just want you to be listening and open to what I have. And at the end of it, then you go home and think about it. At the end of it, you go talk to your spouse about it. You don't have to commit to any. I'm not asking you to do anything. There's no ring. I'm not handing out rings later. Okay, there's no pledges. Okay, and, and then don't, don't put me in this box of, oh, well, yeah, you're the preacher. That's just what you're supposed to say. Don't, just, just give me for the next 20 minutes. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Just give me a moment to speak into it because here's the deal. Here's what I believe. When it comes to this particular area, that if we establish guardrails, and hey, I don't care if you're a believer in God or not, you could still do this. If you establish guardrails in your life, I'm telling you, it would change culture. It would radicalize culture. Prison populations would go down. Poverty levels would go down. It would alter the future. It would alter generations. It would have massive ramifications. And and here's the deal. Today when we talk about guardrails, and the reason why sex is is, you're going to resist me in this area more than any other area the reason why it's more difficult to talk about, the reason why it can be awkward sometimes. There's just something about this subject, but God never shies away from it. He just kind of leans into the awkwardness. He doesn't really care. And, and here's why it is so important. If, if you establish guardrails in every other area of your life but this one, that could be your biggest mistake. Because it's the other ones that you could actually recover from. Like, like let's take like finances. Let, let's say you didn't create any financial guardrails and you lost it all. I know people that have lost it all and then went and worked really, really hard and got it all back. 
Is that fair to say? I know people that had no guardrails when it came to their health. And they really wrecked their body. But man, they worked hard. They got disciplined. They, they, they did kale cleansing diets and, and other beet juice diets. And they, they cleaned it all up. They went to the gym. What, they, they, they could gain some of that back. There's something about the, the damage that happens to us when we don't have sexual guardrails that lingers. As a matter of fact, it's probably the only thing that you can't get full recovery from. I don't know why it is, but there's just something that, that this type of thing, when the damage hits from, from like getting out of bounds sexually, we end up having like these seasons of our life where it like resurfaces. You ever notice how like something will happen? This isn't like, I'm not asking for amens or hand raising here. I'm just, just walk with me. But you ever notice how like you have something happen to you as a child and then all of a sudden it can resurface 10 and 15 and 20 years later? Where'd that thing go for 20 years? Where'd that thing go for 10 years? Or why did it get so underneath your skin? Why did it carry with you and transition with you in the different stages of life? You're like, well, I, have, I thought that just happened to me when I was a kid. I thought that was just something that happened to me as a teenager. And then yet we're still dealing with it. It carries with you, doesn't it? In the sense that you would like to get over some of the damage done, it, 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 there's, for some reason there wasn't any full recovery. And the other, the other thing I'd like to throw out this is, is that whenever there's, there's this idea of getting out of bounds sexually, like... It just complicates things. Like, I want you to think about this for a second. That God's way is a way of wisdom. And that anytime we don't go down his path, down his way of wisdom, we end up with mess. Because this is, and this is what you have to admit to be true. I've never, and I counsel a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, pray with a lot of people. I've never met like a couple who was dating and then things weren't going good. And they said, you know what we did? We just started having sex and it just, everything got better. I've never, I've never knew somebody that as a child or as a young person introduced that into their life and they said, you know what? That was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I've never had that story. No one's ever shared that testimony that their breakthrough in life, that their success in life, that things got better, healthier, more whole, more complete. I was happier because this was introduced into my life. Why is that? And I'll tell you, the apostle Paul Tells us why, because I'm not that smart, but he is, so I just listen to what he has to say, because, well, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So if you have your Bible, go to the book of Corinthians with me today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about sexual immorality, and he talks about sexual guardrails, and this was his opening statement here. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside their bodies, but, everybody say but, but those who sin sexually sin against their own Bodies. So let, let, let me back up because there's so much he says here that, that you kind of need to unpack. The first thing that you need to unpack is this, is that when he talks about this idea called sin, everybody say sin. Most Americans have kind of this weird view of what sin is because they got like, like stereotypes and preacher kind of slogans in the back of their head. They're like, let me just help you out what sin is. Sin is ultimately anything that, that hurts someone else or yourself. Let me say that again. Sin is anything that hurts someone else or yourself. So it's not like God had this list of rules and he wanted to see who the good people were that would keep it and who the bad people were that wouldn't keep it. That, that wasn't what it was. It was that God looked at what would create the best possible scenario for you and for others. And he goes, that's the good stuff. And anything that would hurt you or others, that's the bad stuff. So it wasn't this arbitrary list that God's like somehow keeping track of you to see how good or bad you are. It's simply something that he's saying as a heavenly father, as a loving dad, there's some stuff out there that's going to create damage in your life or in other people's lives, and I want you to avoid that because I 
love you. And so he says these words. He goes, so I want you to flee. Everybody say flee. Sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, if you ever just read the Bible and took it as a whole and looked at all the different things that the Bible talked about when it talked about sex, sexual immorality is this. Ultimately, anything outside of marriage, God says that's out of bounds. That would be in the realm of immoral or not good or sinful. Now, again, not because it's bad in and of itself, because here's, here's what you need to know. Like if, if I'm going to mess with some of y'all. Okay, if you're a Christian or you read the Bible, you have to come to terms with this radical idea. God thought up the idea of sex. This wasn't like two naked people sitting around and got bored and didn't know what to do with certain parts and were like, oh, what, what are you, let's do this. God was like, no, my God, how did they figure that out? They were never supposed to know. I mean, at some point, you have to think that God was in heaven. Maybe angels are standing around and he's like, hey, guys, just check this out. I just came up with this cool idea. Watch this. Now, you, you can't do this, but they're, they're, you're going to be jealous that you can't. But, but well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a thing. It's, it's going it's to be awesome. But, but see, this is what you have to know is that, is that really this thing uh, called sexuality, is that it was a God idea. It was designed by God. God thought it up and God gave it to you as a gift. So God's not a prude. Okay? God is not anti-sex. God came up with the idea. Does that make sense? You can't fault the guy for coming. You can't say Steve Jobs doesn't like iPhones, right? You can't, why? Because he created the iPhone. Okay, so like, you, you get what I'm saying? Like God is pro this subject. So this is not God being a prude or being a fuddy-duddy, but what God knows is this, is that ultimately this thing is like fire, like, like one of the best ways that I've ever like been able to like communicate how you need to look at this idea is like fire is good, right? Fire is all, you need fire. Can I get an amen? I, I need fire. Um, I, 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 fire gives me warmth. Fire gives me comfort. Fire gives me light. Fire gives me, I can make s'mores. I can heat my home. I can do all, fire is good. Fire is great, but fire's powerful, isn't it? Like, it's a powerful thing. It's a heavy thing. It's a thing that if it's not in the fire, how I many know if the fire jumps out of the fireplace, you got problems, right? So the fire has a place. We live in California. You know what we're constantly thinking about, worried about, wondering about? Like, where is that smoke cloud coming from? That's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about this whole thing is gonna burn to the ground here, apparently. That and an earthquake, and we're gonna split off into the ocean. I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's not good. So we know that fire is awesome, but fire has its place. And this is what I think God was really looking at. It's like, I got something powerful. I got something that's awesome. I got something you're going to love. I came up with this idea, and it's awesome. Everybody say, but. But it has its proper place. And so what he was saying was, is this is flee sexual immorality. So if you ever wondered what the guardrail to sexual immorality was, this is the guardrail in a nutshell. If you're taking notes, this is really, really simple. All you have to do is write down one word. Everybody say flee. That's it. That's your guardrail. Flee. I, I, I mean, we'll break it down and we'll, get, we'll dig down deeper and I'll make it practical for us living in the 21st century. But the, the ultimate thing is this, is that God said your best bet, your best shot at keeping fire in its proper place and of, joy, and of enjoying this thing the way that I designed it to and for it to be at its absolute best and peak performance and everything to be awesome, you need to flee sexual immorality. And here's, here's why I think fleeing is so important. It's because what God is saying is this. You're not strong enough. You, you don't have what it takes when it comes to this area, right? Again, this is the anti-Joel Osteen sermon. Like, you don't got what it takes. You're not strong enough. You're not able to overcome. 
you know? This, this will not go well on television. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say. I will not get more clicks and more views and thumbs. I won't get that. But I didn't make this stuff up. I'm just repeating what another person said that, well, they got their stuff in the Bible and you did it. So they're smarter than you, apparently. So everybody say flee. That the, see, it, it, now that was it. Because what he was saying was this, and I know this to be true, that if you put me in the, in the wrong environment at the wrong time with the wrong person, I don't got what it takes. So what he was saying is this, I don't want you to worry about being strong enough, I want you to be smart enough. And the only way that you can be smart is to get the heck out of there. Does that make sense? That's it, he goes, flee. So what you want to do is, is when it comes to sexual immorality, is I want to remove my, myself from and run away from places of temptation. Because in the moment of temptation, I don't necessarily have what it takes. I probably don't have enough strength, self-discipline, willpower, conviction, whatever you want to call it. So my best shot at staying sexually pure, whether I'm married or, or single, is to flee those situations and environments. Yep. I heard, no, 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 I heard it. I was a cricket. I was just checking. I was like, I was like oh, let, me, let me just make sure. That was, that was a cricket back here. So, so but, here's, but here's the deal. And we talked about this last week. Our biggest problem is, is that we don't flee, we flirt. That's where you and I are. We don't flee. We flirt. Our whole culture is based on flirting. Have you noticed this? We are constantly flirting with danger. We're constantly exposing ourselves. When you think about this, like, like I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching a TV show, and I thought the show was really, really funny. And I watched a few episodes of it, and it just never even crossed my mind. And then my wife was like, because I'll check out shows first. This is the way me and my wife go. I check out a show to see if, if my wife will dig it or not, because, well, my wife, is a, is a, she has high standards, Okay. I clearly, I, I apparently don't have standards like hers. So, so I just make sure there's not anything weird or language or guts and gore or anything like that. And I just make sure that it's cool. So I start watching the show and I thought it was really, really funny. And then she goes, well, Todd, do you think I would like it? And I said, yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I think you would like it. And she goes, well, tell me what it's about. And I'm like, well, it's really about these people from, and they, and when, and the whole premise of the show is that one of them is having an affair with their no, you won't like this. And it, and, it, and it occurred to me, and it shocked me a little bit, because normally I'm pretty good at this stuff, but what, made, what it made me aware of was the whole premise of the show was about two people having an affair, having an adulterous affair on their spouse. And at the time, I could just sense the humor of it, but then when I began to explain what it was, I thought, I've just taken enjoyment from the premise of a show that's all about adultery, but, 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 here's the thing. What you and I will sit there and be entertained by and laugh at and smile at, as soon as somebody crosses that line, we're devastated. You gotta think about that. We're okay watching them do it. We're okay laughing at them doing it. We're okay chuckling and smiling at what they do. But bless God, your spouse has an affair and it doesn't feel the same way, does it? So we don't, see, this is so like, let me give you another example. So like, when the, when the teenage girl gets pregnant, we're always like, oh, you know, we kind of have these feelings. But yet, we're the ones that when we go shopping, if we go shopping and go down the mall and we walk down every store of the mall and we look at every advertisement and every billboard and what's there, what we notice is, is that sexuality is constantly being driven. Because you'll, you'll go by the store and you know where there's a store and they sell jeans and there's a girl there and she doesn't really have any jeans on, but they're selling jeans. 
And you're like, oh, well, let's go. And, and then, so, but then we, so we do is we set up our children, we set up our daughters to dress in such a way that we are flirting with something, but then we are upset and shame them when they actually engage in it and something damaging happens. Are you, are you hearing me today? We flirt way more than we flee is my point. And here's the deal. This is, this is what he says. He goes, I want you to flee sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. What Paul does is he makes this huge, huge theological statement. This is, y'all need to get this. If you miss everything else, you might want to get this one. What he was saying was this. You need to be careful that you don't buy into the lie that sex is just physical. Because that's not true. Sex is not just physical. And he talks about it before this and he talks about it after this. This is why he said, people that sin, all that stuff is for the most part outside of your body, but sexual sin is uniquely different. And it's uniquely different, not because God's more mad at sexual sin than he is at other sins. Do you know what, why it's different? It's because it does more damage than any other sin. He goes, it's the most sin, all sin for the most part, is really just kind of out there, stuff you're doing to, that, that's bad to other people, or maybe it does have bad results on you. But when you sin sexually, you need to know some, there's internal ramifications that are happening on the inside of you. That's why that stuff buries. That's why stuff goes underground. That's why stuff carries over in the next relationships and the next marriages. That's why stuff carries over in your thought life. It carries over with guilt and shame, or it carries over in your reputation, or it carries over just somehow in your soul and it somehow ends up blocking you from future intimacy with the person that you actually want to now be intimate with and you wonder why i'm just telling you that everything i say that if you have any experience with it you're like "Mm -hmm." because a minute ago you were like well yeah preacher that's what i would expect you to say but now it's like "Mm -hmm." all right you you okay you got me play on (laughs) so this is what paul says in the next verse. So after he says flee sexual immorality because of the incredible ramifications that it has, this is the why. Like this is why he digs down so deep on why it's such a big deal that you flee sexual morality. This is the next verse. Do you not know? Which, which to them was huge because they didn't know. <laughs> like, like that whole do you not know? It was real. They didn't know. This was one of the most sexually perverse and sexually charged cultures, this kind of Greek culture where literally they had pagan temples where people did this as forms of work. I mean, it was, it was wild. It was crazy. It was nuts. It was in what he was, if you think what I'm saying to you is like, wow, Todd, okay, this is a bit overboard. Okay, nice. That's good with the Bible. This would have been 10 times more shocking to them. So he starts off with, do you not know? Because they didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So in their, t- in, in their title or their time period, they had temples for everything. So every pagan culture had a temple and a statue and a thing that you would go and worship at. And that was where you just seemed as like, okay, that's where I go and honor God. And he flips it on him. He goes, I need you to think about this. We don't go worship a temple, right? There's no temple. This is, this is just an event center. They had a quinceanera last night. This is not a temple, right? So my point is, is that, is that we don't go worship a temple. The apostle Paul says that your body is actually the temple because the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. That's why your body is the temple. So like the reason why I want you to flee sexual immorality is not just because of the damage and the ramifications that happens. I want you to think even bigger than that. I want you to flee sexual immorality because something happens, crazy, weird, unexplained, supernatural, can't quantify it. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of you huge, incredible, what God lives. Yeah, God, in essence, took a piece of himself and stuck it inside of you. 
that God lives inside of you, and you have, because of that, you have incredible value. Because how many know, like, the value of a vessel is not determined just by the vessel, right? The value of a vessel is determined by what's inside the vessel. Like, if I gave you a bag, you'd be like, okay, that's 10 cents at Trader Joe's, okay? But if I gave you a bag of gold, it changes, doesn't it? Because it's not about the bag. It's about what's inside. And I'm not saying you're a Trader Joe bag. You're much more valuable than that. What I'm saying is, is that I want you to see that the, the, the value of a vessel is depending upon what's inside the vessel. And what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that you need to be aware that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you and dwells inside of you. And that is a really, really big deal. And then he digs down even deeper on that because he goes in the next verse. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. So next thing he doubles down is this. Not only does it have like incredible ramifications when we get out of bounds, when we go over the edge, when we fall off the cliff, when we go off the bridge, whatever it is, not only is there incredible ramifications, but you just need to know this. Like you are of incredible value. God himself lives inside of you. That makes you incredibly valuable. Not only does he live inside of you, I don't know if you know about this too, but like you're actually made in the image and likeness of God. So the vessel itself reflects the image and likeness of God. What's inside of you is God himself. And then he says this, he like triple, I don't even know how many number we're on now, but he triples, quadruples down on it. He goes, because you are not your own. That body, that's really not yours. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Um, who had your body before you were born and got in that thing? It didn't exist, did it? It, was, it wasn't there. And then who gets your body after you're dead and gone? I don't know, it goes in the ground. That body that you have is on loan. You got it for a window of time. It was given to you for this window of time. Does that make sense? So your body is not your own. And here's, as a believer, this is what we believe, is that your body's not your own because you were bought with a price. And that price was the death of Jesus on a Roman cross, that he died, that he bled, that all that happened so that you could be forgiven and redeemed right here, right now. So your body is not your own. Therefore, meaning in light of all these things that we talk about, I want you to, everybody say honor. I want you to honor God with your body. Now, that even sounds weird because like as, as if you go to church, you're like, yeah, you need to honor the Lord with, with your money or you need to honor the Lord with your time. You need to honor the Lord with your decisions. You need to honor the Lord with your worship. You need to honor the Lord. You know, all these things you would honor the Lord with. And then Paul says something weird like, no, no, that body, that physical thing. He goes, your body is a temple. Now, sometimes we, we feel like it's a growing temple, but... Sometimes we get in front of the mirror and we're like, try to flex the temple, try to make sure some, some of you ladies get up and paint the temple. You do. <laughs> but your body is a temple. It reflects the image and likeness of God. God dwells on the inside of you. It wasn't even something that's yours. It was something that was given to you because it was paid for by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. This thing. This earth suit, this body, it's not mine. It's something special. It's something unique. It's something different. And, 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 there's something about my sexuality that's not just outside of me. All other sins are somehow outside of me, but that one somehow in, it, it gets inside of me and it begins to change everything. So in light of that, what I want to do today, and I'm going to be really, really simple and wrap up really, really quick. If you're taking medicine, it's 1109. Um, 
Here's what I want to do, because everything I talked to you about was just theological and idea and thought and all, but here's what I want, I want to get practical now, because you asked me about guardrails, and they're like, okay, how do I actually put a guardrail on this thing called sexual uh, purity and sexual immorality and my sexual, how do I put a guardrail on that? All right, you ready? Take notes, we're going to fire through. Let's go. Number one is this, if you had to put some guardrails on protecting your marriage, protecting your life, protecting your future, protecting your children, protecting this thing that we call sexuality, number one is this, if you're married, now this is just for married people, if you're single, you just need to take notes and prepare for the future if you want to get married. But number one is this, is don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Like that's a guardrail. Is that a sin? Nope. Remember, it's, listen, listen, listen. Foolish people ask the question constantly. Well, is that a sin or not? Is that a sin or not? Well, can I do this? Can I, is that a sin? Is this a sin? What you're constantly asking then is, is how close to the edge can I get without technically going over? That's all that is, right? And what the apostle Paul says is don't ask the question whether it's a sin or not. Ask the question, is it wise or not? Because when you ask the question, is it wise or not, you'll find where the guardrail exists. So is it a sin to go and travel alone with a member of the opposite? No, there's no, I don't have a Bible verse. There's no First Todd 3.15. There's nothing, okay? There's nothing. I'm just telling you what wisdom is. As a matter of fact, you know, where, you know where this originated from, at least in modern culture is? This was called the Billy Graham rule. Remember, just so you know, Billy Graham is still alive. I just had this conversation. We're like, my gosh, he's still alive. Billy Graham had this rule because Billy Graham was kind of like the, probably the, the greatest evangelist in terms of size and scope and number of people he talked to was probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. It was unbelievable, the crusades and all the things. It was it's incredible. But he had this rule and this rule came out and they put his name on it because it was his rule. And his rule was simply this. I do not travel alone with the opposite sex. And that was just his rule because he knew it would prevent him from ever getting into something. Whether he was in by accusation, but getting into something that he would be dangerous, getting into a danger zone, he knew this would be a guardrail. And he said, I just don't travel alone with the opposite sex. And he would like cancel trips. He would cancel meetings. He would always have like people with him. He, would, he was just really, really funny about it. But that was one of his guardrails. Number two is this, is don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Yeah, so I'm not talking about like just get in the car and go to the same destination. I'm saying you don't even need to be at the same destination. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're like, Todd, really? Yeah, really. I'm just telling you what wisdom would say because here's what I know is that every adulterous affair that I have ever been witness to and know about and have had to counsel people through or whatever, it all started with stuff like this. It didn't start with like something crazy and outlandish. It was something that was simple. It always started with a Facebook chat. It always started with a, hey, let's just go grab coffee or, hey, let's just go do this. There's, it always started with something simple. And the point of a guardrail, remember, is it's a personal conviction that if I bump up next to that, something in my conscience should go off. Alarm bells, whistles, ding, 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 Jerry, something should go off in you. Okay. I'm sorry. That was from last week. Last week, I told you how like my mother-in-law gets scared driving in the mountains and she screams when we get close, too close to the edge. So you didn't need, you didn't need like, you know, the new fancy cars. They have like, beep, 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 if you get too close to people, she's, she's a personal beep, 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 except she just yells at you. So, and Jerry's my father-in-law's name. Any, anyway, but, but you should have something in your heart, something in your soul, something in your mind that you've solidified, that you've talked about with your spouse, that you've already kind of cemented and said, hey, this is going to be my personal guardrail so that when you bump up against that, something in you is like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Why? Because And you haven't even gotten into the danger zone yet. You're just bumping up against something that will prevent you because we know this in life. This leads to this. This leads to this, because I know that when you get two people of the opposite sex around each other in these types of environments, that eventually this leads to this. Eventually this leads to this. 
So I'm not saying like, it's obvious like if you read the Bible, like to have adultery or to commit adultery would be a sin. That's just in there, right? That's plain as day. You're like, well, this is not a sin. No, it's not a sin. It's a guardrail. You see the difference? It's where wisdom lies. And what Paul would have said to them may have been similar or may have been a little bit different, but he would have said, hey, use wisdom in all of your thinking. Hey, here's another one. Don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Like, but, but you don't understand. They just needed somebody to talk to. Yeah, they need to talk to somebody else. But she was so desperate, and her husband, and what? yeah, she needs to talk to her friend. She needs to talk to her mom. She needs to talk to a counselor. She needs to talk to, she don't need to talk to you. But you know what, Todd? She's the only one that would ever listen to me. My wife doesn't listen to me. She's the one that would listen, and she actually cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you, but this leads to that. You're bumping up against things that I just know this leads to that. that there are certain things that are just a little bit dangerous. And then lastly, I mean, I could give more, but we'll just kind of wrap it up on this one. When you feel your heart or your desire drifting toward a specific person, tell someone. Okay, now I'm not saying tell your wife. <laughs> not, not right away. In three years. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm not saying don't tell her. But you need to tell somebody. Like if you, if you feel like, God, that girl at work and this and that and this, and we've been talking and gosh, she's just so pretty and she seems to care, she's sweet and my wife is this and this, this, you need to go tell your best friend, your best believing Christian godly friend that you can and say, hey man, I need you to just know that this, this, there's just a little something in my heart right now and I can feel it and so I just need to let you know so that you can ask me and follow up with me or I can just get it off my chest and you need to tell somebody because it always starts here long before it ends up in a bedroom. It always does. There's always either a coffee or a lunch or a Facebook thing or a travel thing, or, and then it's, and it's a great conversation, and then it's my heart starting to wander, and then I've crossed all of these guardrails, and then I'm in the danger zone. So what I'm telling you is there's a life of wisdom that prevents you from falling off into the deep end. Now, if you're single, okay, single people, don't raise your hands. Um, I don't want to make you feel awkward. And then the other thing is, is if I say, hey, I'll sing people, like, there's one or two dudes that are like, what? <laughs> You'll be scoping. Maybe we should raise our hands. I don't know. A lot of babies up here for baby dedication. Um, so single people guardrails. Single people guardrails, number one is this. Um, walk around with a blindfold on. Just, just, just get, get like horse blinders. I don't know what those are called blindfold. There's this really weird Bible verse where Jesus said, if your sin or if your eye causes you to sin, just gouge it out. Just gouge out your eyes, whatever. Okay. This, all right. On, on the real though, it's to the greatest of your ability. Guard your eyes. Guard what you set your eyes to. Guard what you put your eyes in from. And, and hey, here's the deal. Again, we, we, we will so criticize and jump on people for like something like, like a, a, a pornographic addiction. And yet again, we flirt, we don't flee. Because all the other images, like, like ladies, if you're upset because your husband was watching porn, but then you just want him to go watch Dancing with the Stars with you, them girls ain't got no clothes on either. So, <laughs> so like be careful that you're not flirting, but instead you're fleeing. So like don't, don't, don't engage in one thing and then throw him under the bus for the other thing. The goal is to get away from it all. And as a single person especially, guard your eyes to the greatest of your ability, guard your eyes. Number two, this is huge. Single people, please listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. please write this down. Put it, get, get out a Sharpie, something. Apply the married people's guidelines in your relationship with married people. Everybody understand what that means? It means that if you're, hang, if you're single and you're hanging out with a person that's married, you apply the married people rules. 
So if you're single, it doesn't say, oh, I get to go eat alone because she's married. No, 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 she's married. You apply the married people's rule. You don't eat alone with a married person. You don't eat alone. You don't travel alone. You don't, do, you don't counsel because if you're single and then she's going through a really tough time and you're her friend from high school and we just have a bond and we're just really, no, 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 you're crossing, you're crossing lines that are incredibly unwise and ultimately this leads to that. And then lastly, third one, and I'll be done here. Maintain the most minimal amount. I don't even know how to word this one. I came up with this as best I can. Maintain the most minimal amount of physical touch possible. Maintain the most minimal amount of physical touch possible. Maintain the most minimal amount of physical touch possible. Here's why, please. And if you're, if you're married, this will just be interesting to know. But if you're single out there, here's what you need to know. Is that physical touch changes things. Down to the hand-holding level, it starts to change things. Now, I'm not saying don't hand-hold. I'm just telling you it changes things. And even hand-holding has levels. There's levels of hand-holding. Because you can cup. But bless God, you get up into that intertwined thing right there. Y'all might as well be married. Talking about this. We're together. That will change her heart. It's over. I'm just telling you, it's over. It's over. Joey, did you write that down? Hand-holding, cuddling on the couch, watching a show, starting to kiss, everything is, I'm just telling you, physical doesn't change, and science proves this. This is, I never understood it until the science started to back it up and support it, but I always knew what God said was true. I just didn't know how it was true. But God would talk about having these restrictions physically because he would say, hey, don't engage in this physical touch when you're dating because physical touch changes things. It's just, it just does. And what the science shows now is, is that actually what takes place in the physical body and in the brain is that when you engage with physical touch, what happens is, is that chemicals begin to be released into your body and they put blinders on you and they change the way you see the other person. Did you know this? So there's these chemicals that are released and this is, this is what they call putting on rose-colored glasses. Now, you don't notice this in yourself because you just think you're smart, but you notice it in other people because you're like, they're really dumb, right? I'll prove it to you. Have you ever seen a girl and you're like, wow, what is she doing with him? What does she see in him? Why would she ever be with him? Yeah, totally, yeah. So... So, or, or vice, it could, go, it could go either way. But see, what happens is this, is when you, when you begin to engage in a physical touch, it puts blinders on you. And what those blinders do is they create a false sense of connection that really doesn't exist. This is why in a worldly system of dating, you, you, you immediately are, are connected by attraction and infatuation. You introduce physical touch almost immediately, and then you end up with this messy relationship. It's because two people really probably didn't belong and really weren't a good fit for each other. The greatest thing that you can ever do is find somebody who loves Jesus like you love Jesus. Find somebody who cares about the things that you care about, who's into the things that you are into, that has a great friendship, and then grow out of that friendship. This is, I'm, I'm just telling you what brilliant dating would look like. I'm not saying you'll actually go do this, but if you, if you did, you'd be brilliant. Is you go create the most incredible friendship possible. And then what happens is, as long as there's any level of attraction, I'm telling you, it just, it's incredible. You create this incredible friendship and then you just get to sleep with your best friend for the rest of your life. It's an unbelievable thing because see, here's why physical touch does that. I believe God put that in there for a reason. But if you think about it, if you did it God's way, you'd have an incredible relationship and an incredible friendship. You'd have so much in common and so much um, um, 
interest in the same things and love for the same things and you would have this incredible friendship, then you would introduce physical touch to make up for all the stuff that is still there in all the imperfections. Because no matter how great they are, they still have imperfections, right? So the blinders kick in. This is why when you see a truly blissful marriage, there's this old saying that says that two people that really love each other know about all their flaws and just embrace them. That's not true. Now that's possible, but that's not what blissful... Blissful marriage is when you look at your other person and you think they're amazing and you're as dumb as a box of rocks to all their issues. You're dumb. You don't know. They're weird. They're crazy. They have issues. You see none of it. You're like, I just think she's amazing. That's blissful marriage. And it happens because you created a great relationship first and when you introduce physical touch later, that's when the blinders came on and you became just stupid. You're like, I love her. Nothing mattered. You didn't see anything. So, so my point is this. The reason why, can you put that back up there? The reason why you want to start with the most minimal amount of physical touch possible is because it's only going to escalate, right? Let's just be honest. It's only going to escalate. Start as low as you possibly can and create the guardrail as low as you possibly can. It will only enhance your relationship, your future, your marriage, all of it. Listen, listen, listen. I got to close. As a matter of fact, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Today, if you're in here today, I, I said a lot, but you know what needed to be said to you. I said a whole bunch of things to a lot of different categories of people, but you know what needed to be said to you. The Holy Spirit, there was a moment where we talked about that, and it just, you just, you just felt it. The heart clenched, the stomach clenched. You were like, that's me, that's me. I know it, crap. How did he know? How did he know? How did he know? God told me, that's why. I'm kidding. The fact is, is that there's something in you today that may have scared you. There was something in you today, you're like, oh no, I didn't know. Or, oh no, that's me. I'm telling you that today there needs to be a guardrail. Not because God is angry with you. I need you to recognize that your God is a loving father. And what would a loving father tell his kids to do in this area? What would a loving father look at his kids and want for his kids and desire for his kids? Because if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you would look at your kids and you would say, I wish that they wouldn't make the same mistakes that I made. I hope that they have guardrails. I hope that they maintain this sexual purity. I hope that they're set up for the best marriage possible. I hope they bypass all the pain and heartache that I went through. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. You know that as a parent. And what I'm telling you is, is that your heavenly father has that same parental instinct. I hope, I want them to, I, my desire, my wish, my prayers, my, what God wants to set you up for is the best relationship possible, period, end of discussion. And his wisdom is that way. The other reason why I want you to think about these guardrails is, and, and, and not dismiss me is this, because if you're out there and you're fighting me right now, ask yourself this question. I know you don't want a guardrail and you're fighting me, but do you want your spouse to have one? The answer is yeah. If you want your spouse to have a guardrail, then you need to have a guardrail. What is it, and this is our prayer today, God, what is it that you would have me do? What guidelines, what restrictions, what guardrails, what things would you like me to have in place? Do I need to go confess? Do I need to go talk to somebody? What relationship do I need to go immediately distance myself from? What person do I need to remove from my contact list? What coworker do I need to separate myself from? Where is it that I've crossed a guardrail and I need to back that thing up? God, give me wisdom. 
to do what's right, but God, give me the courage to actually pull it off. So Father, we pray, God, for these wonderful people. God, I pray that you would speak to them about their life, their situation, their relationships, God. Only you know the details, so speak to them, I pray, God. Give us the wisdom, God, to know what guardrail to put it in place, God, and give us the courage and conviction to pull it off, God. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning, please. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.